man, Steve. He's the only one that gets paid to do this. <laughs> Good morning, church family. Good morning out in the fellowship hall. Make a joyful noise out there. Good morning, everybody online. Thanks for joining us this morning. Once someone was talking to a great professor, and they said about a young man, they said, I heard that so-and-so was one of your students. And the great professor almost laughed and said, devastatingly, oh, he attended my lectures, but he was not one of my students. Ooh. And it turns out there's a world of difference between attending lectures and being a student. And this is a major problem in today's church. There are so many professing Christians and not as many followers of Christ. Welcome to the final week of our discipleship Following Christ Here and Now series. We're finishing it today. And I have enjoyed this uh, series, and I, I hope that you have as well. Does this mean that we're finished with discipleship? No, of course not. In fact, we're just launching an entirely new era of discipleship at Community Grace, being Christ followers who make Christ followers. That's our mission. In fact, pull out your bulletins one more time, and on the back of the bulletin now, you see a little bit different format the bulletin is in this week. If you didn't get a bulletin, the guys have baskets around. Would you just raise your hand? You're going to need one, and they're going to bring it right to you. I see a few hands there. On the back of that bulletin and the bottom is our church mission statement. Let's all read that out loud once again. This happens to be the mission statement of every church and of every Christian that's ever followed Christ. By the way, this is just our wording of it. It's the Great Commission, and this is what rallies us, one of the things that unifies us. So let's read it out loud together. We exist to glorify God by being Christ followers who make Christ followers. This is discipleship. We're in it together. This is the mission of our lives. So pull out your bulletin. Now that you have your bulletins out, um, if you have a pen, get that ready. Uh, to recap, just real quickly, where we've been in this series, and you can go back and, and listen to any message that you missed, but we started with what is a Christian? That's an important thing to define. Our churches in the world are filled with people who are not actually Christians. They haven't given their lives to Christ. Then we, then we asked, why discipleship? Why is that important in the first place? What is a disciple? Then we defined what is discipleship. Let me just show you that there's lots of different ways to define this. This is kind of our official discipleship definition. Discipleship is the lifetime process, the lifetime process of becoming more like Jesus in every way and helping others to do the same. That's what we're all about. In what levels of community or social interaction do we do discipleship? All of them. We looked at that. And then what's the ultimate goal? To become like Jesus. A little bit more each day to become more spiritually mature and victorious along the way. Last week, our friend Tiberius taught what Jesus taught, that this isn't something small. The call to follow Jesus is not something we just add to our already busy lives. There's a high cost of being Jesus' disciple and that he demands our entire life and a higher reward that he gives us for that, higher than anything else in the universe. So we rest assured in that promise and in that life. 
Only Jesus is worth giving your life to. Now, over the course of these weeks, we drilled down into all those topics, and it has been enjoyable. Today, we need to put it all into practice. That's our goal for today. We have studied the Word. We have studied theology. We've had some of those experiences together, and now we need to give some real things that we can do. We need to take all of what we've studied and studying today and put it all into practice. That's our goal today. And that, again, is the problem in too many churches, too many spectators, not followers of Christ. Author Marcus Warner explains that there are two halves of the church, the rational half and the relational half. And when Christians only embrace the rational half, that means you just sit here passively listening, if that's all you embrace, churches become unhealthy places where transformation doesn't last. So my goal is to convince you today to do the things that most of us know that we should be doing anyway, but haven't prioritized them in our lives and structured our lives around making them happen. They just don't happen without intentionality. So that's our goal for today. And to put it all into practice, my thoughts today are organized into three parts. Get serious, take the steps, experience the joy. So here we go. The first part of that is get serious. Jesus is our number one priority. Let me pick up where Tiberius was last week in case anyone missed it, wasn't here last week. Jesus said in Mark 8, 34, and he said this multiple times in the Gospels, we see him making this statement. If anyone would come after me, you want to follow me? If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross, an instrument of crucifixion, and then follow me. And we have to start here because being serious, we have to start with being serious because if we aren't serious about following Jesus, then nothing's going to happen. We'll just drift and we're just wasting time. And actually, if you're not serious about following Jesus, about this, then you have good reason to doubt whether you're a saved Christian at all. Because when we trust Christ and he gives us new life, he gives us new desires, we experience his grace, and we want to follow Jesus. So let's ask ourselves some hard questions right now. Is Jesus number one in your life? In every aspect of your life, is it all about him? This is the gift that he gives us as he demands this kind of following. Another question, what do you need to make him completely and clearly number one in your life? What does that even look like? Probably every, almost everybody here wants Jesus to be number one in your life, but here's the reality. We get distracted by a lot of things. We get busy. We get attacked by the devil all the time. Isn't that annoying? All the time. We get fearful. We get distracted by the world, which is so influential. So many enticing things about it, so many ungodly influences in our lives at school, at work, ungodly education, ungodly media. You know, media was, has been rated as the number one influencers on young people. And do you think most media that we consume is God glorifying and helping us grow like Christ? 
No. It's not. There's a lot of distractions in the world from making Jesus the number one priority of our life. So how do we get to the point where Jesus is where he must be the number one in our lives? And the key to that, the key to discipleship is lordship. Have you ever heard the statement, Jesus is Lord? Have you ever heard that? Of course you have. It's said all the time. Let's say it right now, in fact. Ready? Here we go. Jesus is Lord. Now, do you believe it? Is that true in your life? Remember the angels announcing Jesus' birth. Luke chapter 2. What did they say? For today in the city of David is born to you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The apostles recognized this. Paul writes, Philippians 2, that every knee shall bow, that every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How do we become saved from our sin? Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Lordship means Grasp this, please, that Jesus is the Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. Lordship is key to our discipleship, to our growth, to our entire successful life in him. But when Jesus is Lord of your life, things become the way they are meant to be. When Jesus is Lord, we will start finding three things in our lives, springing up in our lives. They are love, obedience, and fruit. Let's look at what the scriptures say about these things as we continue. First, love will start taking over your life. This is from the passage that Steve just read. John 13, a new commandment I give to you. This is the beauty of God's commandments is that they're for our good and for his glory. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. How much? Just as I have loved you. And that is a lot. So that's our commandment from Christ. Just as much as Christ has loved you, that's how much you are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So we have received it from Jesus. We give it away to everybody else. We are known by it. We're supposed to be. That's what Christians are supposed to be known by. And when we put this into action, love starts to overtake us and define who we are and the world takes notice, and it even surprises us. You're being taken over. I'm becoming a loving person. This is amazing. Now, our love then leads to obedience. Follow with me now. John 14, verse 21, Jesus says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and make myself known to him. Out of love comes obedience to everything God says. Once we love Jesus, we'll want to obey his commands. And these are the keys to discipleship as we put it all into practice. Loving Jesus, loving others, and obeying Jesus for the sake of ourselves and others and the glory of God. This is what it's all about. This is where it all starts. This will lead to everything else good in our lives. There was an influential pastor years ago who, wanted, who was speaking to young men and young women about 
young women, this is what you need to look for in a young man. Four words. Has job, loves Jesus. That's what you're looking for in a, in a man to marry. If he has job, loves Jesus, you can marry him. And I like that. You know what? Because I have daughters, and if I have a young man who has job, loves Jesus, I know he's going to care for those girls. Loves Jesus. Obeys Jesus. That translates to every other good thing. And love and obedience to Jesus produces the third thing then, and that is fruit. One chapter later, John 15, Jesus is still teaching, and he says, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples, my followers. So your love, your obedience is going to turn into fruit. When we do what he did, when, when we do what he would do in my shoes in this situation that I'm living in right now, when we treat people the way that he would treat them, whoever they are, when we pray like he prayed, when we care for each other, when we teach like he taught, when we sacrifice and serve, when we build up like he built up, when we persevere to the end like Jesus did, we bear fruit. I had one of those Facebook is watching you moments this week. Have you ever had those? You just have a conversation. <laughs> I emailed my sermon a couple days ago to Alex so she could put the PowerPoint together. And an hour later, this ad was on my Facebook page. Bear fruit? Those coincidences are just too eerie, aren't they? And I, it wasn't time enough for me to buy one of those and wear it today, but I really like that shirt. <laughs> I just had to share that. But here's the truth, brothers and sisters, when we love God and obey Jesus, everything changes. Our schools change, our families change, our relationships change, our values, the decisions we make, our world changes. We bear fruit. So the first point is get serious. Make Jesus your Lord, your priority number one, and see what he does in your life, in our church, in our small groups, in our families, and everything that we're involved in. Get serious. Make Jesus your priority number one. And then we have to take the steps. And that's what we're going to put into practice today. The steps of a follower of Christ. Today's sermon is titled, Putting It All Into Practice. Now, the NFL and college football season just started last week, or NFL did. Is anybody happy about that? Yeah. I know. Some, some people are really happy about that. Not all college can't, conferences started. Um, any updates on the Big Ten? I'm not sure about that, but... They vote today. What do you know? Here's the thing. Unlike a football season, this is life, and we can't just watch the game. We are players in this game, and fantasy football doesn't count. Got it? Fantasy doesn't count in this game. Jesus' great commission is to learn everything that he commanded and obey it all. Now, we can't include all that he commanded in one sermon. But we're going to cover some of the primary things that he's called us to obey today as a follower of his who's making other Christ followers and, and doing it all together. We don't do it alone. What you're looking at here on the screen now and on your notes is called the Disciples Cross. And it was put together by the Navigators, who's a Christian organization that's been putting out some of the best discipleship resources in the, in the world over the last almost 100 years. 
So get your pens ready, and we're going to fill out that empty version on your notes as we go. Let's look at each of the components briefly, and then how we can apply them to our lives as we put these things into practice. First of all, the center circle represents the center of our lives. That's Jesus Christ. Okay, You're going to see the brilliance of this graphic as we walk through it briefly with the remainder of our time. Jesus has to be at the center of who we are and all we do, the priority of our lives. What does Jesus say about this? It says so much. Let me pick one passage that we went through together several months ago when we were going through the book of Colossians. Colossians 1, 15 through 20 is one of the best collection of six verses about Jesus in, in Scripture. It should absolutely overwhelm us and fill us with the awe that he is due. Who is Jesus that he would be the center of our lives? He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, and that means, literally, the number one priority over all creation. For by him all things were created. He created all things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's, he's, the, he's the leader of the church, the head of our body. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among all the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. He's supreme, the preeminence. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the cross. This is the Jesus Christ that we follow, which is why he's the only one who deserves priority number one, to be the center of our lives. And he is our Lord. So as we move out from there now, you really start seeing the genius behind this graphic. A cross has two aspects. It has a part that goes up and down. This is the vertical axis. This is the relationship that we have with God. Amazing thing. It also has a part that goes sideways, side to side. That's the horizontal axis. And it talks about the relationships that we have with other people. So let's look at how this breaks down. Because this is our life as a disciple of Jesus. Again, because we love him and obey his commands, we will bear fruit. So what does he command in these four directions? Okay, first let's start with the lower vertical section, and that is to be rooted in the word. In John 8, 31 and 32, we read, So Jesus said to the Jews who have believed in him, If you abide in my word. You are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You keep this book on the shelf for most of your lives, and none of this happens. Abide in the word means to continue learning it wanting to learn it, opening it, every day, throughout the day. 
And you've got to have an open Bible as a follower of Christ and an openness to the Holy Spirit who speaks through this. This is what makes this book different than anything else in the world. This is what the Holy Spirit works through. He's inspired it. This is the only book that's alive and and breathing. Being rooted in the Word means it's our source of nourishment, of life. And just like a tree, the deeper our roots go, the more we'll mature. The more we'll grow. The more fruit we'll have. The more victory we'll have. No word in your life means no nourishment, no growth, no victory, no peace, no being set free from slavery to the world, to fear, to sin, and no accomplishing any fruit in your life. It is that easy to understand. So we're going to integrate next steps as we go through these four points today and not save them at the end. That's why they're not on your notes. If you notice that was missing. Let's talk about some next steps in, re- in relation to the word. How, how can you be rooted in the word on each of these social interaction levels that we've talked about over this series? First, your personal study. Here's, how, here's what you can do, and you can write this down. R- read the Bible every day. Read the Bible every day, more than once. And then study it, memorize it, and meditate on it every week. I read my Bible every morning before the kids get up, and I read through the Bible every year. I set my alarm. Is this a sacrifice? Yes, it is. Is it worth it? Of course it is. We make sacrifices for things we think are worthwhile all the time. This is one. God is just screaming out, I gave you my word and empowered it with my Holy Spirit. So we want to provide resources for everybody at Community Grace. We've just added a few Bible reading plans on our website on the resources page. If you just go to communitygrace.org, click resources, that's what you'll see on the bottom. And we try to put a little little mix of Bible reading plans for every type of personality where you are. Would you go check that out? Get, it, to get into some accountability. That's going to help. Did you, did you read? You know, whether it's your spouse you're reading the same thing or a friend or a group text, make a pact. We're going we're gonna to do this, and it turns into a delight in no time. How about for family? How about on that level? My, my life goal of all the goals that I have for my life is one of the top three goals is this, that my kids would see an open Bible every day of their lives. And those who can read now, which I have three readers now, They read at least a chapter every day in their getting ready for the day routine. And two of them have read the Bible in its entirety and are working on round two. And I just watch how it changes their lives. Men, a challenge to you. Men who are married always know what your Bible is, what your wife is reading in the Bible at all the time. And if you have kids, you apply that spiritual leadership to your kids as well. Here's the thing that men don't automatically know until you study, find this in the Word, that you have the spiritual responsibility for your wife and kids in your home. You may not know that. You may not want that. But God holds you accountable to that. So 
There's some family applications for being in the word. We are people of the book. Make your household according and live because of it. One-on-one, when we walk with a brother or sister in discipleship, that essentially is walking with each other with an open Bible and consulting it to find out, what do I do in this life situation? That's what it is. This is what guides us, speaks into every part of our life. Our small group, our small groups do all kinds of life together. We do all kinds of stuff in our small groups over the course of the year. They're amazing, but the foundation of the group is the Bible. And then church services, church, the Bible is our authority. We will always preach the Bible here. That is a guarantee. You got that? That's a guarantee. Okay, let's move up to the top of the vertical axis where we come to pray without ceasing. God speaks through his word. We respond through prayer. It's just that simple. And being a dad, I know how much it means to me when my kids want to talk to me. And if you're a parent, you've, you've learned that too, and you've learned that about God. He wants us to talk to him. Let's talk about that just for a moment. I think everybody prays to some degree. It's just a matter of who we pray to and what do we think prayer is. And a lot of people just have it all wrong. Okay, if we're praying to God like he's Santa Claus, we need to move on from that and realize that the God we're praying to is real and awesome and holy and all-powerful. And he's just waiting for us to talk to him. And he's revealed this to us in his word. So how do we pray? How do we pray? You know, Jesus' original 12 disciples asked the same thing. Teach us, Lord, how to pray. How do we pray? And what he gave them is what we call now, we call it the Lord's Prayer. And I would say it's better called the Lord's Example of Prayer. Matthew 6, 9 through 13. Let's just look at this. And I want you to know first that there's a lot of church traditions that just say this mindlessly and repetitively. And just before he gives us example of prayer, two verses before, listen to what Jesus said. He discourages that very thing. Don't, he discourages us from babbling like pagans who think they will be heard because of their repetitive prayers. Okay, understand this. This is an example of prayer, and it's an, a profound one. We're not going to study it in great depth right now, but just see what Jesus is teaching us. How do we pray? First, our Father in heaven, we pray to the Father. And he's, that's, that word is Abba, it's daddy. He's our dad. He's the perfect dad that we long for. But then he makes the switch. Hallowed be your name. He's your dad, but he's also almighty, awesome God. So we're going to recognize that and worship him. Then we're going to pray for his will to be done. And as we align our wills with his, we get everything we want. Because we want what he wants. So your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And then we depend on him and ask for the things that we need. Give us this day our daily bread. Nothing wrong with that. And then confession. We need to confess our sins. Forgive us our debts. And you know what? He is faithful and just to forgive them every time. And we cannot outspend his grace. Amen? Amen. 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 Ask for forgiveness and you're clean, white as snow. And then you have a responsibility to do with that forgiveness to forgive others. Forgive us. Uh, those are debtors. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but yeah, it's easy for me to say. Um, 
but deliver us from evil. And, and the best picture I've seen about this is like a little boy or girl grabbing the hand of mom or dad in a crowded room, maybe at the fairgrounds or something like that. Just lead me through this world. And they trust you to lead them through this craziness. That's our dependence on God. And what a relationship with God that we have. And in prayer, the only, we could talk about prayer for, for, for months and months. The only other thing I want to add right now is that there are numerous attitudes and moods and postures in prayer. You talk to him like your dad. Talk to him like Holy Father. Uh, talk to him. Other times we fall down overwhelmed by his transcendent greatness when we realize it and we're on our knees. Other times we express sorrow for sin and joy for his grace and forgiveness and for sharing his glory with us. Other times we sense his closeness. He's closer than a brother. Other times he feels far away, but he's not. He never leaves. And such is the nature of a relationship with such a magnificent God. So what are some next steps? How do we get prayer as a constant part of our lives? Because it's not easy. It is a discipline at first, the spiritual disciplines. But like every other discipline, in a short time it becomes a joy and a part of your life. So what can we do? Personal, on personal level, I like to apply 2 Thessalonians 5.17, the shortest verse in the Bible in the original Greek. One word, pray without ceasing, pray continually, always be praying. It's a life verse for me, and, and it's a discipline to remember that. Give thanks in all things, pray all the time, have this relationship with God all throughout the day. Now, how can you, you might ask, how can I pray all the time? I won't get anything else done. And I have an answer for that. It's like someone with a cough. Maybe you're taking a test in school and it's really quiet, and that person with the cough just won't stop. You're like, you're coughing all the time. He's not coughing every second, right? He's just coughing all the time. That's just like our prayer life. It's a relationship with God, our Father, who's always there. So personal level, pray like you have a cough. On the family level, the family that prays together stays together. I'm glad some of you have heard that. Now you've all heard that. This statement is real. Dr. James Dobson reports that while the percentage of Christian marriages that end in divorce, by some reports, is almost as high as the world's, close to 50%, that is deceiving. More accurately... Christian couples who are real followers of Christ, who read, real followers of Christ, who read the word, pray, and are active in church are much lower. Divorce rate. And get this. The divorce rate of married Christian couples who pray together at least three times a week, that divorce rate is less than 1%. Got that? Pray on your family level. It is that important. And it's hard, and there's a lot of distractions. You've got to make it happen. This is who we are as followers of Christ. One-on-one, -on -one, again, discipleship, I said, it was just walking with somebody through life in the Word, and, of course, in prayer also. Small groups, small groups are challenged to, become, to be committed to prayer as a primary component of our groups. And it's an awesome thought to think that 12 small groups in our community throughout the week are praying, praying for you all, praying for each other, praying for the world. That's an awesome thought. And in church, first I want you to know that our elder board is a praying board. 
And that I attribute a tremendous amount of whatever health we have by God's grace in this church to that. So no, I want you to know that. We're so close to launching some other prayer initiatives. We're bringing back the weekly prayer meeting. It was just a matter of when and when it's going to be. That decision's coming soon. Then there's some prayer initiatives coming up, October, one in November, one in December. Would you just commit now to being a part of those or maybe, maybe leading some of that? If you're a prayer warrior and a leader, uh, would you write that on your communication card and let me know? We're just about ready to launch those things. Can't wait. Needs to be done. Okay, now we move to the horizontal axis. I, I hope everybody's still with me. We've covered the vertical, and I pray that we're all committed to this as Christ followers. Putting discipleship into practice with others is what the horizontal aspect of the cross is all about. On the right side of the cross, we have fellowship, fellowship with others. And this was the topic of two sermons ago in its entirety, so I'm not going to spend much time on it here. Please go back and listen to that. Uh, it's all about community. This is our community of, of Christ followers. Following Christ is all about togetherness. You see all the word you in the epistles? That's always plural. Almost always plural. And um, we're in this together as a community, as brothers and sisters in Christ. Man, you can just meditate on that statement for a long time. Brothers and sisters in Christ. So that means you may not have much in common with each other. You may not understand each other. You may not even be able to stand each other. But we have some things that, that are in common that are bigger than anything else in the universe. We have Christ in common. It's who he's made us through his blood. We have eternity in common. We have this instruction and model and Holy Spirit's power to love one another. We have a shared mission with each other. And we have the promise of eternity together. So we might as well start liking each other now, right? <laughs> That's the idea. So let me just ask, can you just let people be who they are while we're all growing in Christ together? That's a decision you can make in your heart as we love each other. So what are some next steps with fellowship? I just have one at this time of the year. Get yourself, your family, and everybody you know into a small group. Some kind of community. And be a committed member of that small group, as committed as you can possibly be in this season. Now you might say, I, I can only make about half the meetings. And I say, good, join a group and go to those half the meetings. That's half is better than none. All you need to do is tell the leader, I can only make about half the meetings. Great. The expectation is set, and you'll be in community to the extent that you can. And be committed to the group as much as you can. So here's how you do this. Many, most, I think most of the church has filled out one of these. There's still some that haven't. Maybe you're new here today. This is how you get plugged in to a small group. Here's a list of our open groups still remaining. And you can turn that in at one of the boxes on the walls at the exit doors. And we'll call you today. Because small groups kick off today and all throughout the week this week. And then the fall series begins next week. Okay, the final direction of putting this all into practice is the left side of the horizontal axis. And that is witnessing and serving according to your shape. 
What is that? And this is where I'm going to introduce you to the Why Am I Here series guide. I know some have bought these already. This is what we're going to be launching into next week. All together, like was said earlier, the youth ministry, the children's ministry, all the small groups and the sermons for six weeks are going to be doing the same thing. That means you kids, or the kids, will be instructed to ask, Mom and Dad, what did you learn today? And you can talk about it because you learn the same kind of thing. So what we have is the shape is, so this is the study guide, and in it you'll get a member toolkit. This has the pages that, that um, get us all on the same page about expectations, agreements, confidentiality, those kind of things, and instructions about you know, what this is that we're doing. It really just makes it easy. Um, you'll get that in the book if you can pick one of those up today. And then the guide is for the rest of the series. And it has all these yellow pages. These are the personal self-assessments. And we're going to be looking a lot in the Word and in ourselves. This is always one of the most fun things to do because everybody's favorite subject is themselves. It's true. And that's fine. So we're going to find out our shape, how God made us to do the mission and the ministry that he's given us all. He's, a, he's given us a mission. He's given all of us a ministry. We just need to discover what it is and how I get involved in building up uh, his church. So this is great self-discovery. The, sh- the acronym SHAPE means spiritual gifts. So that's the first assessment. You take your spiritual gifts um, on week two. Man, there's all kinds of great teaching that goes along with that. H is your heart. He has given you a heart for things that he has not given me. A, he's given us all abilities that are different. P, personalities. That's a very fun time to compare all of your personalities and how you work together as a family, as a team, as a small group. E is your experiences, and that's the most fluid of them all. Our experiences, all of, our, all of your experiences contribute to your shape for how God can use you to bear fruit. It's, it's going to be a great time, and I hope that everybody will get into a small group and get ready to discover how you are going to be a witness in your particular way that he's made you and serve and, and build up the church and ministry. So to put discipleship into practice, just to review, we get serious. We put Jesus as number one in our life. I think a lot of us have been there. That slips away. Let's get him back to where he belongs. Then we take the steps of following Jesus in the word, in prayer, in fellowship, in witness, and in service. These are the primary practices of followers of Christ. They look different for everybody, but you can discover them. And they all must be active in our head, our heart, and our hands. We've got to learn about it. We have to believe and have relationships. And we have to not just sit there, but act in every part of our life. And that, as you know, we can't be perfect by tomorrow, but you can take steps and grow. And as you do, that leads us to the final point, our message of hope. That is, experience the joy. And I want to close this series the same way that the Apostle Paul closed his amazing book of Romans. Romans 15, 13. And this is a prayer. I'm going to just pray it over the Community Grace family right now. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. And that concludes our discipleship series. Now there's one final next step, 
You might have noticed by now the discipleship inventory assessment on the back of your sermon notes. Let's have a moment of truth. How many people have already started filling it out? Doug, I think that's the only hand that was raised. I can't, I got to call you out, man. I know, I, I know the urge. Now, here's the final next step, though. Everybody, take that home and fill it out. Share it with one person or just share it with you and God as you discover kind of where you are right now at this moment in all the areas that we talked about today. And then, if you're going to a small group tonight or later this week, total up the numbers with the instructions there at the end and bring those numbers to your small group. And you don't have to share your results, but I think that even if two or three people share your results, your group's going to be off to a great start in walking together in discipleship and growing to be like Jesus, being Christ followers who make Christ followers for the glory of God. Let's pray, give this all to God, and then we'll observe the bread and the cup.